Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 86. First of all, look at the technology vendors that are there. As I say, the technology is already there. A lot of this is quite generic. A lot of the technology that's been used for e-bills of lading, and you know, there are at least three or four big companies. There are some specialized um, tech providers that will provide exactly the sort of technology that you need to create these kinds of instruments. For UK companies, as soon as it comes into force, there will be no requirement to use any of these documents in paper form. So we can immediately, from a UK perspective, switch straight digital. That will bring immediate efficiency benefits for anyone that's doing, and that's in a way why the timeframes are important, because we've got a clear clock now to work to. My name is Dipesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. On Tuesday the 10th of May 2022, Prince Charles stood in for Queen Elizabeth to deliver the Queen's speech to Parliament. The speech, which marks the start of a new UK Parliament and lays out the programme for the new parliamentary term, included an electronic trade document bill. Some 80% of trade documents are governed by English law, and last week's announcement stated that the electronic trade documents bill will be part of the new laws to be voted on in the upcoming session of Parliament. This could be a victory for the acceptance of digital bills of exchange, promissory notes, bills of lading and warehouse receipts under English law, and farther afield. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sean Edwards, Chairman at ITFA and member of the Legal Reform Advisory Board at the ICC DSI, and Chris Southworth, Secretary General of the ICC United Kingdom and co-chair of the Legal Reform Advisory Board at ICC DSI, to talk about this announcement and what it means for trade digitalization. Chris will be speaking at GTI UK 2022 in London on the 16th of June this year on the panel Does innovation hold the key to trade and export growth? With representatives from UKEF, Aston Business School, IOE and the Commonwealth Secretariat. For more details on GTI UK 2022, visit gtreview.com forward slash GTI UK. Use the code ICC10 to receive 10% off any pass. There are also a limited number of complimentary corporate rate passes available. Visit our website for more details. Sean, Chris. Welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Hello, Deepesh. So Thank to you. start off with quick round of introductions, and I'm sure you need no introduction here, but who are you, where are you from, and what do you do? Chris, over to you. My name is Chris Southworth. I'm Secretary General for the International Chamber of Commerce in the UK, but I'm also the co-chair of the Legal Reform Advisory Board at the ICC Digital Standards Initiative. Thank you. And Sean, over to you. Thanks, Deepesh. Uh, I'm Sean Edwards. I'm the chair of the International Trade and Forfeiting Association. My day job is as head of legal at uh, SMBC, Sumitomitsui Banking Corporation, where I also have a job in the a more commercial role in the banking department there, the trade finance department. I'm also, like Chris, a member of the, not a co-chair, I'm one of uh, Chris's minions on the Legal Reform Advisory Board as well. Thank you very much. So, Chris, what happened last week in the Queen's speech and why is this important for trade documents? This is a game changer for multiple reasons. First of all, anyone in the trade space knows well that, you know, trade is very paper heavy. It's very information heavy, but paper heavy. And the system that we operate in is very antiquated. 
Uh, it's very fragmented, lots of different platforms and systems. Those systems and platforms don't talk to each other. So what this bill does, effectively, it's the equivalent to when Microsoft and Apple sat down and connected their systems together whenever that was 20, 30 years ago. And then suddenly we could use technology applications. Our documents could transfer between systems. We're on the cusp now of that transformation happening in trade. It's a huge game changer, but it's also not just about the UK, because it's English law, there's an immediate connection to the Commonwealth. What happens here will tip the domino on what could potentially accelerate the transformation of trade across the Commonwealth, 54 countries, but also all of those companies and sectors that are using English law as a basis for their contracts. It has an, an incredible amplification effect on that world trade economy. You know, English law has this incredible role within global trade, and that's partly what's so exciting here. And then, of course, you know, the UK is now the first big economy to make this a top priority and allow us to remove paper, strip out all of that unnecessary complexity and cost from a company point of view, particularly small companies. This is an immense pain point for everybody. And we can now begin the process of removing that pain point and then scaling solutions and using technology more efficiently. And importantly, allowing companies get better and smarter access to finance, because all that paper is really a huge hindrance in the banking system to get that finance to the trading companies quicker and faster to underpin trade. Thanks, Chris. And I guess digitalizing trade documents in the Commonwealth nations, I think a recent stat came out, it could unlock some 1.2 trillion US dollars of exports. Sean, let's just take a bit of a step back. A while ago, the United Nations Commission on International National Trade Law, or UNCITRAL, developed a framework and model law for the adoption of electronic transferable records. And this has been subsequently adopted in some countries, Bahrain, Singapore. What is the situation for the UK? Yeah, so it's really picking up on this very important point that Chris made about the impact of the change of English law on international trade, not least for the reason that you've said that 80% trade documents governed by English law, regardless of whether that cargo will ever touch the shores of England. There's a very important this national aspect of this. And if you like the sister legislation to what's happening in the UK, this model law on electronic transferable records developed as you say, by UNCITRAL. England has taken a slightly different approach to adopting MLETR or MELITA, as the legal anoraks call it, in that it's not actually, unlike Bahrain and Singapore, as you mentioned, some other countries, and it's the adoption of MELITA actually is increasing at some pace. Because of the sort of specific nature of the problem, the legal problem under English law, it's chosen to take what is essentially an equivalent approach, but not to adopt, to incorporate MLETR into English law. And that's because the issue it deals with under English law, and it will be very similar to a lot of Commonwealth nations, but not necessarily all big international jurisdictions. These very important trade documents, the Bill of Lading, the Bill of Exchange, the promissory note, uh, warehouse receipts related as well, as well as a number of insurance contracts, they all have to be possessable. And the law has only recognised possession in the shape of tangible things. So intangibles cannot be possessed. That's the problem that this bill is dealing with. Now, the way it's dealing with that, and it's interesting to see how the draft changed from the first draft to the second draft, because the Law Commission went through quite an extensive consultation process, and it actually changed the form of the draft. And I think there may even be a third draft of it coming out. And undoubtedly, there may well be some changes as it goes through Parliament. But essentially, it's aligned itself much more with MLETR than it was previously by solving the possession problem through this concept of control, which is 
a concept that comes up in MLETR, and control is achieved by using a reliable system. And again, that's something that uh, has its inspiration in Melita. So although we don't have exactly, we don't have Melita as published by Unsitral, we have something very close to it, very importantly, dealing with a very specific English legal problem, because English law is common to many of uh, the Commonwealth jurisdictions. If you look at, for example, bills of exchange, India actually has an act that is one year older, so 1881 rather than 1882, to deal with uh, promissory notes and bills of exchange. I think the important thing I want to say is specific English law problem dealt with in England by this act that will inspire Commonwealth jurisdictions and other common law jurisdictions that have been inspired by English law or, or have their roots in English law on how to change it, but very much aligned with MLETR, which is pushing ahead, as I said, at pace globally. Thanks, Sean. And I guess what are the next steps in terms of it becoming part of English law? As you said, it's in the Queen's speech, which means it's in the parliamentary timetable for adoption this year in this parliament. Because it's a bill that's been proposed by the Law Commission, there is an expedited sort of fast track procedure. There's no political opposition to this bill. There's no opposition in industry to this bill. There's been a lot of consultation with not just banks, but the likes of the PI clubs and insurers and so on. And there have been some of those discussions discussions at times been a little bit heavy, but we've got there. And so it's supported by everybody. It will be presented at some point during the year. And we have every expectation that it will pass. As I said, no political opposition to it. It's a win-win. It doesn't cost the government anything. And it doesn't force anybody to use, I should make the point, it doesn't force anybody to use electronic documents. It's not like we're saying all these paper documents overnight will become illegal or invalid. That won't happen at all. It's just there as an enabling mechanism. We'll probably talk about later about how we might commercialise that. It will be, uh, we have every expectation to say it will be passed this year and will probably come into force at the beginning of next year. Chris might know more about that because he's been very plugged in to the procedures in Parliament. Yeah, I mean, I think um, what we are being told is we're expecting it to come into Parliament in June July. And then from that point, we haven't got the specifics of exactly when those debates and interactions between the House of Commons and House of Lords will be. But we're expecting it to take approximately six to nine months once it starts the process in June, July. We're not expecting, Sean's just made a great point, that this is not a controversial bill. It's, it's actually very commercial, very technical. The debates themselves, we're not expecting actually an enormous amount of debate. The challenge we have is just the congestion in Parliament with all the legislation that was listed out in the Queen's speech, which is pretty eye-watering. The bill was actually originally scheduled for last year because there's such a backlog of legislation and complex scale of legislation. It's just going to take time from a scheduling point of view, but this should run through Parliament pretty smoothly. There'll be an awful lot of support and input coming in to help parliamentarians undertake that exercise. And then as Sean says, I think it will come into force in early 2023 in realistic terms. Thanks, Chris, for outlining those timelines. So I guess, Chris, let's fast forward to early 2023. What would this actually mean for UK companies exporting overseas? Are those physical documents necessary? Can companies still use digital documents or physical documents if they want to? For UK companies, as soon as it comes into force, there will be no requirement to use any of these documents in paper form. So we can immediately, from a UK perspective, switch straight digital. That will bring immediate efficiency benefits for anyone that's doing. And that's, in a way, why the timeframes are important, because we've got a clear clock now 
to work to. So I think that's an important aspect. Internationally, of course, this is more complicated because every government has to undertake this exercise. So in terms of a trade corridor, we will be able to interoperate with the likes of Singapore, who have already undertaken this exercise, or Abu Dhabi financial markets. Immediately, we'll be able to go digital straight away in those corridors. Uh, we're also now working hard to build up more trade corridors where we can go digital. So the UK government's done a great job in securing commitments from the likes of Australia and New Zealand. And now this is built into every trade conversation, trade agreement dialogue with every country, actually. So the idea is that we go as digital as, as fast as we possibly can in the UK. We set up pilots to test systems between other countries with the likes of Singapore as soon as this law comes through on the UK side. And then there's nothing stopping us going fully digital in those trade corridors while we have this much bigger global campaign asking governments to do exactly the same in other countries. Thanks, Chris. And I guess what would happen to British firms who are transacting with countries that don't have similar legislation recognizing digital documents? Trade is a complex business. The world is a big place and it's very diverse. You know, so we have to be realistic that for the most part now we're operating on paper. In some countries you can operate digitally. The UK coming to play will have a tremendous positive impact on that trading system. But the reality will be, you know, we're going to be in a hybrid system for quite a long time until at least get to the place where a lot of the big trade flow is fully digital. But, you know, we're going to have to operate in some paper, some digital, some fully digital and have the capabilities to be able to do that with as much ease as possible. The technologies, by the way, can do this. They can either be paper or digital. But of course, those who move digital first will get the immediate benefits first. Those countries that have first mover advantage will be able to strip out what we know is just an immense amount of pain from the system quickly. And the UK will be one of those countries. Thanks, Chris. And I guess hybrid is better than what we have now. Sean, just, I guess, putting your ITFA and ITFA fintech hat on, what does this actually mean for trade digitalization, which obviously we talk about at a high level and in detail quite a lot? Chris has made a you know, great point about first mover advantage. And this will be a a slowly growing sort of snowball um, across the world or a increasing ripple effect, whatever analogy you want to use. So that's true of countries in relation to adoption of uh, the relevant laws. Just in that context, just worth pointing out the G7 digital ministers met a few days ago in Dusseldorf and, and repeated their support for electronic transferable records. What your question really is touching on is the commercialization of all of this, because let's assume we are in the beginning of 2023 or whenever the act is going to become effective there won't be an overnight change. And that's obviously important for the reason that Chris has mentioned this law is enables you know, these instruments. There's no compulsion. Part of the reason that we may not get immediate um, overnight adoption is that it will depend to some extent on who the technology providers are, how successful they are, how willing firms are to switch from paper to digital. Within it, for as you know, we have an extremely large uh, fintech cohort, about 45 companies. Some of them are producing already technology that is directly applicable to this. This is very much a case where the technology is ahead of the law. There are platforms that are looking at incorporating these sorts of instruments, either, for example, as part of an LC presentation, or indeed as more as financial instruments when you talk about bills of exchange and, and promissory notes. 
to actually looking at um, creating finance platforms, supply chain finance platforms using these instruments and using them actually also to draw in the new non-bank investors because what you have, if you think of a something like a promissory note, very simple, it's an unconditional obligation to pay, legally very robust, known around the world. It's a document that people can get their heads around, but we've always had this problem with the need for it to be in paper form. So the minute you can digitize that, you can start putting that on settlement and payment platforms. You can start attaching all sorts of other utilities to it, ratings, KYC, AML information, and so on. So you've got the basis there for quite a powerful financial market. And it's something that um, you know, hedge funds and others are, are very much interested in. It starts to operate, although it's a trade asset, it starts to operate from a practical perspective a lot more like a bond, like a euro bond. There's already um, certainly uh, members of ITFA that are, already have the capability to package these up. Really interesting question about whether we're going to move to a sort of open ecosystem where people have or banks have this technology on premise or whether we're going to move into the whole scene look a bit more platformized so maybe dominated by one or two big platforms who will incorporate resources and tools within their platforms to both create and distribute these sorts of instruments but whichever way it is the possibility now the law the change in the law will allow you to do that it's a really exciting time it's a it's a challenge really that the the industry has to pick up. The change in the law means that at last it is now possible to do. Thanks, Sean. And I guess one final question to you, and I'm also going to ask a similar question to Chris, but from a financier perspective and also from a technology vendor perspective, given the news now and given you know we could be nine months away or, or thereabouts, what advice would you give them to prepare for what's to come? And perhaps if we start with a bank perspective and then move on to a kind of technology vendor perspective. Yeah, so from a bank perspective, I think there's a few things that they could do. First of all, look at the technology vendors that are there. As I say, the technology is already there. A lot of this is quite generic. A lot of the technology that's been used for e-bills of lading, and you know there are at least three or four big companies. There are some specialized um, tech providers that will provide exactly the sort of technology that you need to create these kinds of instruments. So now is the time to start looking at those vendors to start working out the business case and to start marketing to customers. Now, it's easier when you can, where these customers are already using paper instruments because then the savings, you know, they're familiar with the problems and they want to continue the use and maybe actually increase the use of these instruments when they become digitized. And this is happening with, I'm on the board of a Swiss fintech and we're looking at this with one of the oil majors who are very interested in the digitization of promissory notes. And if they can digitize it, we'll use digital prom notes more than they use paper promissory notes. It's time to have a look at your customers to see if they're using it and so you can make their lives better, but to also see where it's potentially an attractive new tool for customers who aren't using it. For the technology vendors, I would say for those people who are specialized, they are already commercializing this already. So they're probably going to have to step up their game. I know a number of them are increasing and attracting a lot more investment because um, there's a great deal of excitement about what this market it might be. The bigger platforms who have created sort of workarounds, uh, equivalents, if you're contractual equivalents to these instruments, they'll need to consider how they can actually start to integrate the, the digital instruments directly. That is to say, create them. So make them completely digitally native, uh, create them on their platform, create and move them, sell them through their platform. So currently that's not possible, but it will be. So a lot of thinking, maybe it's a good thing that we've got nine months. There's certainly a 
a lot that can and will be happening on the commercial front. Thanks, Sean. Exciting journey ahead. And, and I guess, Chris, from two perspectives, what's your advice from a practitioner slash government perspective and also from a UK trading business perspective? What's your advice? I think from a government perspective, they've done their job to some degree are doing the right thing that you know they're setting up the frameworks in which we can operate and they're doing a great job at that the challenge is really now down to us as industry and let's be clear what we're talking about here this is an opportunity to reduce fraud it's an opportunity to reduce costs paper and bureaucracy so if we want to trade to be faster and quicker and simpler this is our opportunity but that means we need to do things for companies the WTO and ICC have published a standards toolkit so for the first time we have a simple clear framework for interoperable standards so I think one practical thing companies can do now is look at their systems invest in the systems that Sean was saying there are technology providers we're not technology is not the issue here there are providers out there but we need to be making sure that we are adopting the right standards in the systems that we have and the framework is there to do that. So that's a very practical thing that we can be doing in the next nine months. I would flag an enormous export opportunity here. Anyone who's in the trade space, technologies, companies, there's a, a 10 trillion plus trade opportunity here to just to remove inefficiency and help us do trade more intelligently and quicker and faster and simpler. For those companies that are coming forward with solutions in spaces like tackling AML and KYC bureaucracy or connecting platforms and systems. This is the moment to now come into the market because everybody's going to be looking for solutions. And from a UK perspective, the UK is, is one of the biggest global hubs for technologies and one of the most exciting spaces to be. So it's a huge opportunity, but we've got to get trade in the sites and start investing in technology systems, getting off the reliance on paper, shifting habits and training staff to do that. And that's, those are all practical activities that we can be doing. But anyone who is doing that will certainly benefit. There's no question now that this is happening. It's real. We've been talking about it for years. It's now about preparing the ground to actually benefit from it. Thank you very much, Chris and Sean. And I think, as you can see, this goes far beyond the UK in terms of advancing global trade. I mean, reducing cost, paper, fraud and bureaucracy seem like huge opportunities and, and also a big win-win for all parties in global trade. And just to reiterate on that advice and those key take-homes, look at your customers, review your contracts, look at new opportunities and look at the existing standards and come up with innovative solutions. Chris, Sean, thank you very much for joining us on Trade Finance Talks. Look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com. 